Oh, well, good morning, church. It's great to be here. Morning, yeah. Doing better than Joe. It's always our, it's our competition on how many hellos we get. So if you don't know, my name's Mark, um, one of the interns at SBC. And again, it's a, it's a privilege standing here to, to share God's word with you. It's, it's something that I don't take lightly. It's something that I'm enjoying, enjoying to do more. So today we, we carry on with the Matthew 13. So we, we're in the parables. We've done it a little bit weirdly at the Ridge. I preached the first one and the last one, and then we realized we needed to fill the middle in. So, so that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. So if you want to turn to Matthew 13, verse 24 to 30. And as you turn there, just to recap a few points that, that Matt J made last week regarding the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven that, that Jesus is teaching about. He says, firstly, the kingdom of heaven is only encountered through Jesus. The parable of the sower so rightly explains that, that to come to, to come to faith means you need to accept the gospel. It comes through Jesus. Second, the kingdom is spiritual. It, it is unseen. Therefore, we need help from the Holy Spirit to understand it. We need help from the Holy Spirit to, to get a grasp of it. It's hard, to, it's hard to understand something if you don't see it. Thirdly, the kingdom is eternal. It's in the hearts of those who believe. And finally, and, and this is where this passage so, ties so well in, the kingdom is intention. It is, it is the now and not yet idea. The kingdom of heaven is taking shape. It is being built. But only at the end will we see it in full. For now, it's like looking through the keyhole. You kind of only see that little bit that, that you're allowed to see. But one day the door will be opened and we'll see the whole kingdom in full. And this passage helps us to see this tension, but at the same time brings some clarity. It doesn't just leave us sitting with the idea of going, we're not sure what's next. So if you're there, we're going to read so Matthew 13. There we go, verse 24. I thought I lost it. The parable of the weeds. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seeds in his field. But while his men were asleep, his enemy came and sowed weed amongst the, amongst the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the, master, of the master's house came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Then how, then how, does, it have, then how does it have weeds? And he said to them, The enemy has done this. So his servant said to him, Then do you, do you want us to go and gather them? And he said, No. least along with gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with it. Let them both grow until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Go and gather the weeds first. Bind them in bundles to be burnt. And then gather the wheat and place it in my barn. Let's just pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that that you've given us your word, that, that we, can, we can read it, Lord, pray that we just explain it some more, that, that it will be clear, Lord, that you will speak to hearts. So, Lord, just pray for this in your name. Amen. Again, we see Jesus is, is comparing the, the kingdom to, to a man who, who goes out and sows seed in his field. It sounds a lot, a lot like the parable of the sower. However, we'll, as we jump into it, you'll see there's a few differences. And, he, and it's not an uncommon process for, for the people in Jesus' time. For, for us today, we, we drive along the road, and every now and then, if you're driving through the free state, you see the farmer plowing up his land, 
and, and spreading seed or, or planting seedlings. So, so the practice of farming is not unknown to us. So, so it's a normal practice. And, and as, a, as, a, as a person, I have no, what I've learned is in the last few sermons that my gardening expertise has really been like stretched. I have none at all. I just like put stuff in and hope it grows. But the one thing I do know, and, and as this passage says, the, the farmer sowed good seed. You know, no one plans to go sow bad seed. So on Monday, I was at Car Seeds, and I was standing there, and I, just, I knew I was preaching on this. So I just looked through the shelf, and I didn't see any blackjack seeds. You know, I didn't see any other seeds for weeds. I saw all the good seeds. So, so that's what we normally sow. We go and sow good seeds. And this is one of the, the great parables. Uh, I've been fortunate. Parable of the sower and the parable of the weeds. Jesus explains it himself. So if you want to turn just over the page to, or over the page of mine, is verse 36 to 43. We're going to read that quickly because that's Jesus' explanation of this passage. And from there we will, will carry on. Then he left the crowds and went to the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain this parable of the weeds and the, f- the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burnt with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels to gather out of his kingdom all who sin and are lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So, so it's one of those great parables in, in the sense that Jesus explains in quite clear detail what he's talking about. So, so today, we, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go into the details trying to explain all the little, the little facts that there are. But there's some key points that we can pull out just from reading these. And as firstly, we see that Jesus is the one who does the converting. He's the one who sows good seeds. As believers, we're given the task to make disciples. That's that's the task we've been given. However, our best efforts will never save someone. Our best efforts will never get someone into the kingdom. That, that task belongs to Jesus alone. Secondly, the kingdom of heaven and the world function alongside each other. It's important to say that they don't function with the same purpose, but rather they function at the same time. The wheat, the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds, the sons of the evil one, grow in the field at the same time. They're there together. We are in the world, church. And the implication for this is, is vital, that we're not saved out of the world. Nowhere does the Bible tell us that commit your life to Jesus and you'll be taken away. Commit your life to Jesus and everything will be great. Or we can just hide away in the church, you know, Monday to Sunday, just have like sermons the whole day and this is where we gather. No, we, we're told that we are in the world. We are told that we, we're in the field. The good seed, the wheat grows amongst the weeds and this will happen until the harvest time. Nothing we can do is going to change that. That is God's plan. However, there's an opportunity there. There's a, there's a, there's a missional thrust that, that we have an opportunity to share our faith. That we have this opportunity because we're in contact, because we're in this world, we have a chance to share it with others. And finally, the harvest shows that the kingdom will come. 
as I said, we live in this tension of, of now and not yet. But yeah, Jesus so clearly shows us that one day it will happen. It is definite. It is final. That day will come. And we look forward to that day. When the, when the harvest takes place, it says we will get to see the kingdom in full. We will get to see God in all his glory. There comes a point where, where the weeds and the wheat need to be separated. The, weeds will be the wheat will be taken into the barn, the barn, but the weeds will be bundled and burnt by the furnace. You know, God's kingdom will come and, and we need to hold on to that promise. But just from this passage, moving into the main point is, is there's two, we see that there's two sides of the coin in this passage. There's, the, there's the, son of, the sons of the kingdom, whose leader is the son of man, who is Jesus. Secondly, the, the second side is the, the sons of the evil one, whose leader is Satan. So it's important just to look at these two, these two sides of the coins and see what, 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 what is held for them, what the passage means to, to each side. And firstly, looking at the sons of the kingdom, we see that they are the good seed. As, as believers, we can be, be certain that, that we are saved by grace alone, by faith alone. We are the good seed that is sown by Jesus. Our, our salvation cannot be found anywhere else. Our identity is secure in the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us. Jesus is the one who, who sows the good seed. He's the one who's in control. Every time, you know, we try to control our lives, things seem to take a, a downward spiral. But he's the one who's in control. A few weeks ago, I preached on the parable of the sower. And as I said, this, this passage seems very similar. You know, it's got a man sowing seed into a field and the plants grow. However, there's a few differences. When we looked at the parable of the sower, we saw that the man, the seed was the gospel. And the result was heart change. And this heart change was a result of Jesus and, he, and, and his death on the cross. In this parable, we see that Jesus is saying that he doesn't sow seed, but rather he sows believers. That, that he sows those who have accepted his gospel. He sows those who, who trust him, those who have faith in him. As, as in, a, in a essence, he sows the result of the gospel. So he sows the result of, of the parable of the sower. So in other words, church, today you are where God wants you to be. And, and that is something that for me I've, I've had to learn throughout my life, that, that God puts you where he wants you. There's, there's times where you go, God, I have no idea what you're doing here, but, but this is where you want me. One of the fun stories was if you told me a few years ago that I would be standing here talking to you, I would have laughed at you. I, I was one of those people at school. If you remember, school desk had that little gap between where you wrote and where you put your books. How, how big I am, I, I used to try hard in there when it came to doing an oral or a mondeling at school. You know, and, and that was me. I, like, it got to the point where the teacher would look down the class list and goes, everyone gone? Oh, wait, Mark hasn't. But the reality is God puts you where he wants you. He equips you for where he wants you to be. We've been sowed into this world. We have a purpose. That's why we're here. Don't, don't lose sight of that. As believers, we need to remember that we are the good seed that has been bought by the blood of Jesus. And, and, and that's what we have to take into the world. Secondly, we see that, that the good, that we grow amongst the weeds. We are sowed into this field. However, the story takes a twist. You know, while everyone was asleep, Satan came and so sowed the seeds 
the weeds amongst the wheat. The result is that the, the sons of the kingdom grow amongst the weed. And the reality is, church, that we are not alone, but more than that, we are in a battle. Ephesians 6 verse 10 and 12 says that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of darkness. We're in this battle that is real. We, we can't hide from it. You know, we, we have this, in, if you look through church history, there's been two approaches. Either they go gun-ho and try to like, kill everyone, or you just hide away on a mountain and exclude yourself from the battle that, that's going on. But church, we, we have this opportunity that, that though we're going to face trials and struggles, though we're going to face hardships and sufferings, though we're going to be hurt and scarred, and the sad part about that whole statement is sometimes that happens here in the church. Why? Because the weeds grow amongst the wheat. You know, there's, there's, there's good and there's bad. You're going to get hurt. There's going to be times where you, where you wonder what's going on. However, there's also a positive side of, of the, the weeds growing amongst the wheat. And is that we have the opportunity to reflect Christ to those who are not yet wheat. Matthew 5 verse 13, just for the further back when Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he, he gives us wonderful, or two wonderful statements. We're just going to look at one today. When he says, you are the salt of the earth. And if you want to, you can insert your name there because that's pretty much what Jesus is saying. It, it's not an option. It's not a, it's not a, if you would like to be the salt, rather as a believer, you are the salt. A, and salt has four important functions. The first one is that salt preserves food. Salt is, salt is used to cure meat, but it's only useful when you put it in the container with the meat. Any of you have ever tried to make biltong? It, it really doesn't work if you put the meat in one container and the salt in another. There comes a point where they have to have contact with each other to be effective. Therefore, as sons of the kingdom, we are called to rub shoulders with those who do not believe. We need to reflect Christ to the world around us. We can't do that if we're just going to sit here. We can't do that if we're going to just sit in our own little circles and, and never have impact elsewhere. As Christians, we need to be sharing our faith so that the world around us can be preserved. Secondly, the, the one that I enjoy is that salt adds seasoning. Salt without food is bland. An old proverb says, The, plate, uh, the placeful salt is, in the is not in the shaker but in the soup. And the same can be said for the Christian today. The place for the Christian is not to be stuck in the church, but to be in the world. I'm not saying that church isn't important. I'm not saying that we shouldn't come here. I think this is vital. But at the same time, if this is all we have, if this is all we want, I think we've missed the point. There's a part where we, need to, where we need to interact, where we need to touch sides with the world. We need to add seasoning. We need to, we need to get involved. Thirdly, salt burns or salt hurts open wounds. When I was at school, I played hockey, and I was, I was fortunate to play most of my games on Astro, which, which, which if you know anything about AstroTurf, resulted in like season-long like, roasties on my knees and elbows because, I don't know, I just ended up having more time on the ground than I did on my feet. So it's like diving on carpet. It's not great. I don't recommend it. And I, I don't know what we were doing. I don't even know when it happened. I just remember doing it. I think it was some stupid bet that I lost. So someone dared me to rub salt on my wound. You know, I've heard the expression, and I was like, well, clearly that can't be that bad because I've had methylate before. 
So I kind of felt like, you know, that's the worst that things could get. However, I rubbed salt on my wound, and I think I screamed like a girl. And the worst is you, you try to rinse it off with water, then all it does is it makes salt water, and it just burns more. So yeah, so don't, don't, don't do it or, or do it. After that, I considered very carefully where I dived, because there always used to be dry patches, and I never would dive there. But the reality is that salt burns wounds, and for the Christian, this is the reason that the world will hate us. We need to take a stand for Christ. We need to stand up for, for what is right. And the world isn't going to like that. It's going to be like pouring salt on a wound. It's going to cause hardship. It's going to cause heartache for them. And they're going to wonder, you know, you just yet to hurt us or kill our fun. But we need, to, we need to take a stand for Christ. We need to be the voice of truth. The voice that, that stands up for in the workplace when, when business deals are, are going shady. We need to stand up and, and be counted with, with what we believe in. And finally, I think a point that we know so well living on the coast is that salt makes us thirsty. And, and you know, nothing, nothing beats a good swim in the sea, except when you, when you walk out and you kind of feel like your lips aren't there because they, so all the moisture has been sucked out of them. And that's just the salt in the water. And as a Christian, we are to be the salt of the earth. So the question that I ask you today is, are you making anyone thirsty for Christ? If we are the salt, we need to have influence. If we are the salt, we, we need to be reflecting that to people. A, a wonderful story is in Andrew Murray's autobiography. It says this. He had 11, 11 of his children grew to adulthood. Five of the six sons became ministers. Four of his daughters became ministers' wives. Okay, that's not bad. That's nine out of 11. But it goes on to the second generation. Ten of his grandsons became ministers, and 13 of them became missionaries. You know, that, that's the influence. He made them thirsty after God. He told, them what, he told them the truth daily, and that's what we have to do. We have to make people thirst after Christ. Church, we, we've been left to grow in this field amongst the weeds that we can reflect the love of Christ to the world around us. The reality of the fact is once we were all weeds... So, so our destination isn't set. But we came to that saving point, that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and we became sons of the kingdom. Therefore, we have the task to tell others of the grace that we have so freely received already. And, and the result of this is one day there will be that harvest, and, and there will be that separation of the weeds and the wheat. And, and the encouragement for us, those who believe, is that the wheat will be taken into the barn. In Jesus' explanation, he says that the righteous will shine bright like the sun. I don't know about you, but, but I'm excited for that day. I'm excited for that day when, when I will be glorified, where, where I will be with Jesus. But as Matt, Matt shared two weeks ago, sometimes you just go, like, that day is coming. That day is not now. That day will come at harvest. It, it's not, it's not going to be today. When Jesus returns, we... Sorry, when Jesus, we're going to discuss more about Jesus' return later on when we deal with one of the other parables. So, so I'm not going to deal too much with that now. But, but we will be presented before God holy and blameless. Why? Because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Because of that we can have forgiveness of sin. There's nothing else, church. And because of that we are, we are credited righteousness. You know, we are made in right standing before God. 
So, so that is something that we can hold firmly to. That is something that we can, we can hold on to. So as we go through trials, as we go through troubles, as we, as we call people to, to repent, as we, we face difficulties because of that, we can know that one day we will be with God in heaven. And at that harvest time, we will, it will be secure. However, the other side of the coin is, is talking about the sons of the evil one. And, and I think this is the side of a coin that we don't like to talk about too often. I was, I was chatting to Matt Johnson during the week and I said, I think in all my, in all my sermons that I've preached, I, I did a, a rough check and I think I've mentioned hell, but I think this is the first time I might actually be preaching on it. So it's one of those sides of the coins that we, we don't like to talk about. It's one of the sides of the coins that we, we're scared of. We don't want to trample on people's feet. We don't want to... We don't want to be that inconvenience, but the reality, church, is, as we said earlier, is that salt burns wounds. And it's, and it's our job to, to share, or it's my job today to share what the Bible says, so, so that's what I'm going to do. So firstly, we see that the weeds were sowed by Satan. As we read the parable, the, the explanation that Jesus gives is that the weeds didn't just appear by accident. They didn't just rock up, but rather they were sowed by someone. I mean, if you have any experience when it comes to gardening or farming, that, that weeds appear. You know, that, that it's a natural thing. If you, if you plow a piece of land, weeds are going to pop up. But, but one commentator says that the amount of weeds that were present like, caused the, the master's servants distress. You know, they'd never seen that amount of weeds before. And, and the master's response is, is that they were sowed. Someone physically came and put those seeds down. This doesn't just happen by accident. So, and, and Jesus says that the one who sowed the seeds was Satan, the, the evil one. Church, the point here is, is that we need to be aware that, that Satan is at work. The, the, devil, the devil hates, the, hates God's world. He hates the wheat. He hates the good in society. And he wants to spoil all that he can. And, 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 the, and the reality is, I think, for, for too long as a, as a church, we, we've... We've almost closed a blind eye to that. We've become naive to the fact that Satan's at work. And we kind of just expect everything to be good. So church today, we, we need to stand. We need to be active. As we read Ephesians 6 earlier, it carries on to tell us that God has, has given us the, the, armor of, the, or the armor of God. Not, not that we can run away from the battle, but rather that we can stand firm. That's, that's the reality of, of, that, of that passage, that you will stand firm against the attacks of the evil one. So, so we need to be aware that we are in this battle, and we need to be willing to stand for it and understand that it's going to happen. And secondly, it, the, that the weeds grow amongst the wheat. You know, this is a short but vital point. It's, it's the opposite of what we've just said, that the, the wheat was left amongst the weeds to reflect Christ. So the weeds are left to grow amongst the wheat until that day of harvest. And the main reason for that, the main point, is that God can redeem them. Through, through the death of Jesus on the cross, through his resurrection, we can have full cleansing of sin, and we can be made in right standing before God. The weeds are left so that they have an opportunity to hear the gospel, so that they have time to hear, so they have time to, to respond. So church, I ask you today, are we telling others? And for those who t today are on a journey towards Christ and, and you're exploring the, the claims of Christ, you know, I just understand that your identity can be changed. God has shown you grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy. The fact that you're sitting here today means He's in control. 
So, so I'll ask you to consider this question. Where do you stand before the Lord? You know, I don't want to guilt trip you into saying, I don't want to guilt trip you with what's coming next. But, but it's something that you really need to consider. It's something that you need to take time and, 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 and sort through. And finally, we have to speak about the harvest. As for the Christian, we said that, that the harvest is, is glorious. You know, we, we, will, we will be with Christ. So the harvest for, for the unbeliever is, is a different story. And church, I would fail you today if I, if I breeze past the topic of hell. You know, it, it, like I said earlier, it's one of those topics that, that we don't want to speak about. We don't want to offend people. But, but the reality is Jesus spoke about hell more than he did about heaven. It, it's something that he wanted us to know. The weeds will be bound together before the wheat is, before the wheat is harvested and it, it will be burnt. In Jesus' explanation, he says that the, the weeds will be thrown into the fiery furnace where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some, people, some people's argument is that, that hell is just a state of mind or, or you know, currently we're in hell on earth. And the reality is that's far, so far from the truth. But rather, Jesus says that hell is a place of pain and punishment. There will be fire, there will be weeping, there will be gnashing of teeth. Sometimes we, we get this cartoon idea of, of hell when we, when we see the little red man with his horns and his spark. And, and it often just makes hell seem like a good second option. You know, if you... If you went to go book a hotel room with a sea view and they told you they didn't have one, but they could give you one that, like, if you hung out your window on the, on the DSTV, you might be able to see the sea. Like, it kind of seems like it's not as bad. But the reality is that hell is a place of pain and punishment. And secondly, that hell is a place of permanence. Some have thought and even suggested the fact from, from this passage directly that, you know, that the weeds will be thrown in the fire and then, it will be, then they'll be gone. They talk about annihilation. So there will be a, a, a time of pain and suffering, and that pain and suffering will, will dissipate. But the truth is this, church, that hell is permanent. It does not end. It is going to be constant weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Revelation, it talks about the fire that burns it, but does not consume. It is an ongoing place. It is the absence of the presence of God. So I stand here today, and, and it's one of those topics that, that sometimes you, you wrestle with, and you go, I don't know if I really like this. And, and, and I, I came to this conclusion that it's not my job to like it or not, but rather that God is sovereign. And my job here today is to tell you what, he, what He's put in His Word. And that hell is the reality for those who do not believe. Hell is the reality for those who are not sons of the kingdom. So to close out today with with some security. So you, as, you, as you read this, or as you've, we've journeyed through this passage, we, we kind of, it can leave you with the, the idea of wrestling, where do you stand? You know, like, which kingdom am I a part of? How, how does this all work? You know, I'm not sure. Like, I don't want to leave you today on, on shaky ground, but rather, as, a, as, as believers, we can know for sure. There can be certainty. Our salvation is firm and secure in Christ. There's no need to doubt or waver. There's no need to, to do anything extra. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He's the one who paid for our sins. He has made it possible for us to enter the kingdom of heaven. As we were singing, uh, what a beautiful name earlier, I was going to read this verse, but I thought I'd, I'd save it till now. But, 
Acts 4 verse 12. It says that, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which you must be saved. That it's Jesus' name alone that is the one that saves us. It is his death and resurrection on the cross that, that secures it. It's not by Jesus' name plus everything else you have to do. It's not by Jesus' name and, and the extras. But rather it's by his name alone that, that we can be saved. There is security. There, there is only one way and, and I think that makes it so much easier. We, you, we know where we stand. It's not that we have to do more or less but rather we, we just need to accept his death and resurrection on the cross. Romans 10 verse 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A and for me that is relief. It's not whoever calls on the name may, may be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, depending on what mood he's in today, will be saved. But rather it's whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A and the other part of that for me is it's just whoever. You know, sometimes I'm guilty of it. I think we all are, so I can share this with confidence, is we kind of look at some people and go, I don't know if you're worthy of, of God's salvation. But, but the reality is that whoever calls on the name will be saved. You know, that is, that is the promise in Scripture. That is the promise that we can hold on to, that if we have called on the name of the Lord, we are saved, that, that our destination is fixed. We are sons of the kingdom. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, you know, God is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Not just some unrighteousness, not just the things that, that are, are okay, but forgive us of all. That, that we can be fully cleansed from sin. That, that we will be credited as righteous before God because of Jesus' death on the cross. So Jesus' death confirms and guarantees our entrance into the kingdom of heaven as sons of God. So church, if, if that's where you stand, I, I encourage you to stand firm. Stand firm in who you are. Stand firm in, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because without that, we, we shaky and we will fall down by ourselves. And for those who, who don't yet believe, for those who are still journeying, I, I challenge you today to, to consider carefully, to, to take time, you know, that, that's all it's got to take. It, is, is it just, you just need to consider it and, and trust those promises that I've just shared. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you feel like you, you're too far out of it, like, Mark, you, you don't know what I've done. The, I, I don't, but God does, and he's still willing to forgive that. And, and that's what we need to call on. So afterwards, myself and Zamo will be up front. If you need any prayer, if you if you'd like anything, please come forward. Uh, I'm just going to close in prayer now. So Lord, we just thank you that that you are in control, that you are sovereign. Lord, that uh, you sent your Son to die on the cross to to pay for my sin, to pay for our sin. Lord, that that we can stand before you righteous. We can stand before you with confidence. Lord, knowing that. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, that there's no other name by, by which we can be saved. And we're just so grateful for that, Lord. And, and we just come to you and we, we ask that you will, you will help us stand firm as we, as, we face, as we face hardships, as we face trials because of our, our faith in you. Lord, help us not to, to lose faith, but, but to know that, that you love us, that you have us, Lord, and 
and that you are still in control even as we face them. So Lord, I just pray for this in your name. Amen.